Um, yes, Woo! yes. My name is Virginia. I'll be one of your panel moderators for the next hour. Uh, before we get started, we want to give a little love to our uh, some of our sick name sponsors that we have. We have 99 Brand, Anastasia, Fireball Whiskey, Lime, Mallow Beauty, Patchology, the Resort, the Grand Resort and Spa, Wow Prisons Plus, and of course VH1. Now the party can start. Without these sponsors, DragCon NYC could not happen, so we want to give some love to the sponsors as well. Thank you, sponsors. It now gives me great pleasure to introduce our moderator, John Mallow. Uh, hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. Um, I, I feel like I'm very loud. Do I loud? Okay. Um, so I just want to say, uh, on a sort of personal note, that, I, that this has been a really crazy, intense week uh, in our country and in our politics, and um, DragCon gives me hope, and I couldn't be happier to be here. I've seen a number of mothers and their toddlers walking around, and I, yeah. and I just think yes. they're heroes. Um, I also want to say that the people assembled here uh, give me hope, so quickly I'll introduce them and myself, and then we'll start talking. So Corey Johnson is uh, the speaker of the New York City Council. Uh, he's amazing and doing an amazing job, um, and a longtime friend of mine, and I'm really proud of him. Uh, next, we have Marty Gould Cummings, who is the producer. Producer and star of Shade Queen, Drag Queens of New York on Fuse and the president and founder of the Hell's Kitchen Democrats. Yeah. Uh, uh, next we have Adrian Lever, who is the political director of Swing Left. Oh, except, except that she's not next, sorry. <laughs> next we have, so she's down a few. Next we have Raymond Braun, who's an activist, a YouTuber, was Asia O'Hara's drag daughter on last season of Drag Race. <laughs> Um, and is also the host of Catfish Trolls on MTV. Next to him, we have Catherine Vaughn. She's the founder and CEO of Flippable, uh, which we'll talk about in a little while. Then we have Adrian Lever, who is the political director of Swing Left. Let's give her another round of applause. Uh, and finally, we have Bob the Drag Queen, who is the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race and an activist in her own right. Um, so like I said before, my name's John Mallow. Uh, I am a senior advisor at Swing Left, a national grassroots organization working to flip the House for Democrats in November. Um, and in a former life, I was the host of John and John's Extra Lap Recap on WOW Presents, uh, talking about Drag Race. Uh, the goal of this panel for me, and I hope for everyone, is to discuss the ways in which the 2016 election has animated a large part of the country to get involved in politics, organize, create, and push back against the Republican agenda. It feels more important than ever uh, after this crazy week. So, um, you know, I'd like to start by sort of talking about what everybody here does. We have people from various spheres of 
the political world, um, and then talk about how all of our work can support each other so that we can make the biggest difference both in the midterm elections in November uh, and in the country in general. Um, so I guess I'd like to start by talking about the idea of the resistance, which is the name of the panel. Um, in last week's New York Times, there was a column by Michelle Alexander where she argued that we are not really the resistance. Uh, sort of Trump and the Republican agenda is the resistance to the sort of long-standing uh, move in this country towards more inclusion and more freedom. Um, I thought that was interesting and I'd like to talk about that with everyone. Um, and I'd also sort of like to talk about what we think of um, the idea of the resistance as um, an umbrella term for various groups on the left. Um, so I guess my first question is, how do we all feel about this term? Is it useful? What does it mean to you? How are you resisting um, if we use that term? Um, and because Adrian and Catherine are from two of the groups that really uh, were central to the beginning of, that, of this movement, I'd like to start with them. So Adrian. So, um, hi everybody. How many of you have been active before in politics? Raise your hands. Okay, this is a really good room. <laughs> um, that doesn't usually happen when I ask that question. Um, how many of you are committed to being active today? Better number. Um, so, I am, you know, I'm impressed by what is happening in so many ways. As John said, it's, it, it's been a very challenging week um, for all of us. And what has been most exciting is that I get to spend all afternoon multitasking while listening to the Kavanaugh hearings and feeling really depressed. Um, and then in the afternoon or in the evening, I get on these calls with activists and I get to listen to all the work that's being done on the ground. And man, that is, that, that's the way to go to bed at night. Um, I am so grateful to be able to do that. So I just want to start by saying that um, I have been in politics for over a decade, so this is not new to me, um, but this is the first time that I have felt that dichotomy in my day of that crazy, upsetting morning and then the inspiring evening, and, and that's really powerful. Uh, but I, you know, I'm seeing this shift from, uh, well, actually, let me back up and say also, so I worked on the Obama campaign in 2007, 2008, um, and then last three presidential cycles, and was back in Ohio in uh, 2016. And we sort of felt the difference. You know, we were out knocking on doors, we were talking to voters. We knew that it was a moment, but we were complacent, right? We thought we were gonna win. And then all of a sudden, we woke up the next morning, and things had changed. Um, and I was very grateful. I came back to, to New York. I was terribly depressed and wanted to just do nothing but eat ice cream under my covers for a really long time. I'm sure others felt the same way. Um, and then, you know, we got, I got back to New York and I was trying to figure out what do we do now? You know, because I live in New York City, so how am I supposed to, to make a difference? I can't go back to Ohio every, every other weekend. Um, I have a life here and what am I, I can't go back to a swing state. And I was very grateful that on January 19th, Swing Left launched. It was founded by three people who, unlike me, had never done anything in politics before and who asked themselves that same question and then built this site to connect people to their closest swing district. 
And the shocking news is, how many people know where your closest swing district is? Raise your hands. Shout it out. Uh, Long Island. Long Island, yeah. Staten Island. How many people knew Staten Island was a swing district? Raise your hands. Yeah. So that's, that's the secret of this year, is that there are these elections that are competitive and that are flippable, that are within driving distance of all of us. And so I don't have to leave New York anymore. I got connected to Swing Left, and I started right when we launched on January 19th. And since then, we've been building up a movement of people who are ready now to go take back the House and take back our democracy by flipping these critical swing district seats that are, are near us all over the country. Um, and that is the most powerful piece of what we do every day. We know that we have to do this now if we're going to make a difference. So um, I'm not sure if I fully answered the question, <laughs> but I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Catherine, do you have anything to say about the resistance broadly? Uh, Catherine, I think. I'm going to move. Catherine, Catherine sorry. Okay. Thanks. Um, so yeah, echoing a lot of what Adrian says, we actually worked on the Hillary campaign together in Ohio, and I started Flippable the day after the election. Um, got a website up and running on November 12th, um, had an email list on November 15th, and now we have over 100,000 people in this movement to flip states. Um, I'll talk a little bit about states, and then I'll, I'll try to answer the question. But states are where all of these laws around discrimination, around taking away people's health care, around uh, taking away women's right to choose, around uh, climate change, you name it. States are where these laws are made and scaled. And so I think when we talk about the resistance, the, the one thing I like about the term is that we can borrow from other resistance movements. Um, we can look back at the movement for marriage equality, which was a state-by-state -state approach, like dominoes. States like Massachusetts and California began to fall and accept marriage equality as the law of the land, and that was what gave us the energy and the progressive momentum to bring this all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, Republicans have understood that for a really long time, and they use states to create model legislation, to create legislation that they can scale around bathroom bills, which started in North Carolina but have been proposed in a dozen other states, around legal discrimination bills for the LGBT community, around all of these different laws that start in Florida or Indiana and then get scaled across the country. So when we're talking about resistance, we're really hearkening back to those days of fighting for civil rights, fighting for marriage equality, fighting in all of these battles that we still have yet to win because Republicans are, are kind of gaming the system around states. Republicans have full control of 26 states. Democrats have full control of eight. And we're only at eight because of two states that flipped last year due to some of the efforts of my organization and many others on the ground. Um, so I think what, what I like about the resistance is that spirit of fighting back against a completely oppressive um, administration. I think what we need to add to it is that sense of strategy and tactics. If we want to get anything done, we have to start thinking local. Um, so I think, I think we have been able to move on. And to Michelle Alexander's point, I think society has moved on. We have a majority of votes. We have a majority of public opinion in this country around issues like marriage equality and issues like anti-discrimination and issues like transgender rights. We need to actually act on that majority by figuring out where in the system the mechanics of how the system works and then voting in Democrats in those places. So Corey, I'd like to ask you specifically 
both about your feelings on the resistance broadly and specifically about the role of local government in pushing back against the federal government um, because you're somebody who has a lot of power in the local government and can do that effectively. Well, first of all, I am like, I get invited to all sorts of events all across the city, which I love going to. I am so fucking happy to be at DragCon. I'm like honored to be at, speaking at DragCon. So, um, so I just start with that. But the piece that you were referring to by Michelle Alexander in the Times, there's one sentence that really sticks out to me, and it's a long piece. And if you haven't read it, uh, Google uh, or pull up on your New York Times app, Michelle Alexander, the, the resistance op-ed she had last week. And the one line that really sticks out to me, uh, she says, uh, but the mindset of the resistance is slippery and dangerous. There's a reason marchers in the black freedom struggle saying we shall overcome rather than chanting we shall resist their goal was to overcome a racial caste system to end it and to create a new nation a beloved community similarly those who opposed slavery didn't view themselves as resistors they were abolitionists and so i think framing it in a way of doing more than just resisting, but seeking broader political and societal transformation is extraordinarily um, important. I, I wanna, I'm gonna try to answer this uh, as briefly as I can, but I just wanna say a few things. Number one, every day is painful. We all wanna look away from the news. It's like our worst nightmare coming to life every single day. But I want folks to be hopeful. And the reason why I want folks to be hopeful is because part of the strategy from the other side is to wear people down and make people feel like they should not have hope, that we cannot make change, and that the system is so rigged against them that it's just, just give up and step away. And what I think it's important is to have some broader uh, historical political context, which is, if you look at every modern civil rights movement in American history, whether it be the African-American civil rights movement, or the movement against the Vietnam War, or the LGBT civil rights movement, or the workers' civil rights movement, all of these civil rights movements were movements that in that period in time, when you had deep segregation across America, People thought this is not going to get better. And the reason why it changed was not because of politicians and elected officials. They came typically at the end of the process and they were dragged there. It was because of people. It was because of activists. It was because of the masses who rose up, who organized, and who fought for broad societal change. That's what those movements were based off of, correcting that deep injustice in that moment in time. And this feels very, very dark, and a lot of, of course, unprecedented, ahistorical things have happened, but we have had many dark moments in American history, and we have somehow survived them. And so I think for me, it is really important that everyone keeps a level of hope, that everyone stays activated over the next 38 days, organized and electorally involved. What we need right now is activist participants in our democracy. We need every person to engage in a deep and meaningful way. And what I'm about to say is not to uh, shame anyone or to uh, take anything away from anyone, because I think it's important to inspire people. But tweeting is not enough. Posting on Facebook is not enough. Posting on Instagram is not enough. We need people to door knock and to phone bank and to change the hearts and minds of other Americans through that direct 
grassroots activism energy? The latter part of the question, New York City, I think we are actually the epicenter of the quote unquote resistance of what's happening here. And what I think local governments, municipalities and states, as was said earlier, the eight states that have a democratic trifecta, two state legislatures that are under democratic control and a governor. We flipped New Jersey uh, last year with getting rid of Chris Christie, with him being term limited and having Phil Murphy. And we're gonna do that in New York City, in New York State soon. We got rid of those six IDC members. Uh, so what we, what we need to happen is we need to be local laboratories of the progressive movement, of progressive policies. I'm proud that in my time in the council, we have one of the most forward-thinking bills in the country in allowing uh, transgender people and gender non-conforming folks to change their birth certificate to accurately reflect who they are. Um, and, and we need to be a model in these times of when we do take power and control, what works in places to prove to other states across the country what is possible. Thank you for the question, John. So actually, that's interesting. Raymond, I was gonna ask you, Raymond is, um, Raymond and I have worked together a bunch and he is, among other things, a, a YouTuber and sort of uh, expert in the world of, um, web entertainment web celebrity <laughs> and so i want to ask you what what you think of what do you think the importance of the internet is uh, in terms of resisting and organizing um, and what do you think its limitations are first of all hi everyone i'm also so excited to be at dragcon new york city and you all look so wonderful um it gives me a lot of hope and happiness after the rough week that we all had when I think about the role of social media and technology, I reflect a little bit on my own upbringing. I'm from a small rural conservative town of less than 900 people in Northwest Ohio. And I had a very slow dial-up internet connection when I was in middle school, but that was my window to our community and to the outside world. And that was literally life-affirming and helping me become more comfortable in my own identity um, to realize that I shouldn't feel so much shame and to kind of move me along the pipeline of ultimately feeling comfortable coming out. And so I think that at the base level, Social media and technology gives us an opportunity to get to know people and to understand their stories if they're not in our community and we can't meet them face to face. And I think that that's incredibly powerful in politics. I have a guiding principle for a lot of the work that I do in politics, which is that it's hard to hate people up close. If you really get to know someone and you get to know their story, especially in a non-politicized way, just human to human, then when you start to hear about policies or laws or candidates who are saying things that would directly oppress or hurt that individual, it makes you think and it makes you wonder and it can oftentimes help evolve you. Just looking at marriage, for example, every single politician who changed their views on marriage equality and evolved said it was because of people that they knew in their lives or stories that they heard from constituents that helped them rethink the issue and ultimately come to support marriage equality. And so I think that as we're talking about the incredibly important and critical work to pass laws and to elect candidates who are on the policy level are going to make the changes that we need for full equality for all people, it's also important to think about the cultural change. Because when the Supreme Court ruled on marriage equality overnight, that didn't change everyone who doesn't support LGBTQ people. And so laws can take us so far, but we've also got to move it through culture. And so I think that whether it's through technology and social media or shows like RuPaul's Drag Race or you posting your selfie on Instagram where you're showing yourself being out and proud wherever you're from, you don't know who that's inspiring and you don't know whose mind that could open. And so that's what really inspires me about the potential of social media. It's, it's about humanizing our community, humanizing issues, and putting a human face. Because you can hear these horrifying statistics these horrifying statistics 
and read about policies, but when you see the human impact, I mean, how many people, when you saw the photos of the children being held in these detention centers, that that was one of the moments where you, you felt that, I have to get involved, I have to do something. It's, it's hearing the individual stories, seeing the photos that I think um, fuels empathy. And that's really what I'm most passionate about is how we can put more empathy in politics. So I'm gonna talk to Bob now. So uh, what do you think the role of the artist activist is in all of this? Um, and what have you found to be kind of the most impactful ways uh, to get your message out? Um, I just want to say too, you know, I feel like every, t like every time anyone talks about politics right now, we always start with like, these are the darkest days. <laughs> this is the roughest it's ever been. It's just, it's just never been this bad. And um, that's just, that kind of rhetoric is just such an interesting, it's, you know, when I was a young kid, I came home and I told my mom, someone called me this. Someone called me a name, I think it was a faggot or something, or the N-word. And then my mom said to me, I wish that was the only thing they called me in Mississippi growing up in the 60s. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? But when you put the idea out there that this is the roughest it's gonna get, it, I think it makes people like, I, we can't crawl out of this. When there are people who pull themselves up from the depths of hell, there are people in this world who literally live in the depths of hell. What, so what we on this panel in this room probably can't even conceive. So what the Trump administration is doing right now, and when people say stuff like, I don't wanna say his name. No, say his fucking name. Say it a lot and say it loud. You know what I mean? And people are like, when you have that, the, what the Trump administration is doing to America right now is not insurmountable. It is completely mountable. It is incredibly easy to pass over because we have passed through things way rougher than this. If black folks can pull themselves up from the depths of slavery, then fucking Donald Trump and uh, some bullshit ass legislation is not going to stop American people from coming above it. You know what I mean? So. I'm not religious at all. I personally believe that Christianity is oppressive to black people. Don't even get me started on that. Um, but I do believe that when you speak something out, it puts power into it. So when you say stuff like, this is the roughest it is, everyone's like, God damn, it is rough. We can't get out of this. But like I said it in the last panel I did um, in, in LA, Trump is not the sickness. Trump is a symptom. Okay, you have to find out what the actual sickness is. You're like, I'm coughing. I gotta keep fixing this cough. It's not the cough. Why are you coughing? Why does America have this, the symptom of Donald Trump and the sickness is misogyny? The sickness is racism. The sickness is a lot of times, you know, um, the, the fear of losing your power is scary to people in power. Sometime when it, you know, once it starts to level out to equal, the people who were up here, it's sort of like, it starts to feel like oppression. The, the less, the, once it starts to get, once these people start gaining what they're getting, it's like, oh my God, I, the, then, the, the, then the cis white male's like, I'm being oppressed. I can't believe I'm going through all this oppression. So what I do is, you know, I, I look at artists that I really love and that I really respect, and sometimes they say things that aren't popular, even people in their own um, mindset sometimes can't understand it, and um, but they say it, and they're not afraid to say it. They just go ahead and say it, um, and, and and it's not all. It's not always, um, you know. It, it ranges from Nicki Minaj to Barack Obama to Maya Angelou to fucking whoever is has a mindset. Like when Nicki Minaj speaks about feminism, yeah, Nicki Minaj is a rapper from uh, Queens who got hit with a shoe at Fashion Week, but that does not change 
that she is a feminist with smart ideas who is interested in progressing women's rights ahead. You know what I mean? So what I believe is when you have your mindset as an artist, your opinions, especially bounce them off your friends who are like-minded like you. A lot of my friends like Marty Gold Cummings, Monet Exchange, friends who think the way I think. And if I have some thought that is wrong, then they check me on it. And I say, you know what? I was wrong. Use your privilege to advance people who don't have the privilege you have. And everyone in this room has a privilege. I'm a gay man, but I'm a man. So if I don't use my male privilege, and you don't think you have male privilege, what is male privilege? You know, I can walk a dog at any hour of the night, and I can almost guarantee you I won't be attacked. It's, a, it's almost a guarantee. I'm a six foot two, 220 pound black man. Nobody's fucking with me. You see what I'm saying? Not by themselves. So if I see something that I can do and, and speak on that for women, then I will do that. And if you're a white person and you don't use what you have, you're part of the problem. You see what I'm saying? And, 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 but, and everyone, and your privilege, we, I mean, the privilege gets smaller and smaller and smaller. One of the bravest things I've ever seen was one of my friends. She was on the train, she's a trans woman, and she is what, she can be what they call stealth. Stealth is when you are so passable as cisgender that no one would ever question you. And she can be stealth, but she's not stealth. She's proudly trans, and she was sitting on the train, and a woman got on the train who was not stealth, who could not be stealth. She, she didn't look as cisgendered as my friend did. And the guy leaned over and said something derogatory about her. You see what I'm saying? And then he said it to my trans friend. And she could have just been like, mm-hmm. But what she did was she used her passing privilege in that moment, and it was probably scary when someone leans in and says something about people like you. She stepped in and was like, no, I'm gonna use my passing privilege right now. She goes, you know what, you never know who you're talking to because I'm a trans woman and that's my sister and you can't talk to us like that. And that's scary, but she did it. You see what I'm saying? So that's why I believe in using my, my voice loudly. And, um, you know, I agree tweeting's not enough, but, you know, the Trump administration used Twitter to destroy uh, Democrats in this last election. It was fucking Twitter. It was Twitter. We giggle at Trump's tweets, but the people who are with him, they're not laughing. They don't think it's funny. Only we think it's laughable. They think it's the Bible. You see what I'm saying? So there is no too little and there is no too much. Do, is, do, do what you can do, do it when you can do it, and when you think you can't do it, do it again. Tweet, retweet, retweet. I remember going door to door, uh, not door to door, but on the streets of Queens helping, I don't even know, I don't even remember what group I was signed up with, but I was on the streets trying to get people to sign up to vote for Barack Obama um, back then. And then nowadays, you know, I've used what you have to the best power you can use it. If I go knocking door to door, it will probably get a lot of stuff. If I tweet, it'll get a lot more. If I go knocking door to door with a camera crew, it'll probably get even more than that. You see what I'm saying? So don't have any fear, and I think that a, a lot of times we, the, the depression of what's happening right now, it, I feel like never since I've been doing drag have there been so many people on our side who are just falling out of politics because it's scary, because it seems insurmountable. But, just, but I think if we just keep saying, that's the difference between we shall overcome and these are the darkest days. They weren't marching saying we can't get out. They were marching saying we shall overcome. That's a positive message. And that says we can actually push through this as opposed to, well, you know what happened in the news today, Miss Day. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's what I think I mean. It's use your voice, use your platform, and there's nothing more powerful. There's nothing 
more powerful than the voting. My uh, personal opinion is, It is the strongest right you have, which is why they try to take it away from people. You know that about two-thirds of black men in Alabama can't vote because, they were, because the justice system is so unfairly biased against people of color, so when you have a felony, now you can't vote. Now black people can't vote, so now it's mostly white folks voting in Alabama. And it seems, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, watch the documentary 13. Slavery has not been abolished, thank you. Slavery has not been abolished in America. Slavery has been conditionalized in America. So they make it where now I can take your rights away because you, we've all signed this invisible contract because we were born in America called, the contract is your birth certificate. You didn't even have a say in it. You were signed into it. And now it's like, now we're gonna take you away your right to vote, your right. Even if you are a double convicted felon, you have the right to vote for who does what to you. I don't care how many times you're convicted, you have a right to vote for that kind of stuff. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, use, so use your voice. So Marty. Missing, no. <laughs> I would have ruined this. Guy. So Marty, I wanna, so you, you've taken a, a really interesting uh, path, both as a, an artist and drag queen and as a, uh, a kind of formal organizer and political uh, player, um, as head of a local democratic club and also as part of the mayor's council on nightlife. So can you talk about sort of that specific path and why you chose uh, those places to make the impact that you want to make? Uh, yeah, you know, I, um, uh, you know, like a lot of people said the day after the uh, election or the night of the election, I was like, oh, what is happening in our country? This is crazy. And then I, I, I started using, I realized, oh, I have a microphone in my hand, six, seven, eight shows a week. I have an obligation to educate, empower, and enlighten people because uh, if I, it's fun to tell poop jokes, but it's, uh, and I like doing that. But it's more important to let young people know that they have a voice and their voice matters. And I was doing a gig at this bar and uh, I made a, a joke about Kellyanne Conway and then turned it, you know, the joke into something serious and said, okay, we need to actually do something about this. So let's go march. And the bar owner said, I feel that you're making our straight clientele uncomfortable. You're making me as a voter uncomfortable. And I said, well, you know what? I can't work for you anymore. I can't do that. Uh, I can't work for somebody who cares more about making somebody comfortable. Do you know what makes me uncomfortable? Watching a uh, sexual assaulter be put up to the Supreme Court, that makes me uncomfortable. And uh, so I, I, uh, I talked to my friend Corey, who I've known for many years, and we talked about politics, and, and he said, well, uh, this club's kind of inactive. Uh, you know, and I was like, cool, I'm gonna start a Democratic club. I had no idea what that was. But I said, I'm gonna do it. And we got people in the neighborhood involved. We got people right away uh, involved. And we got local uh, elected officials involved. And we uh, got rid of some people who were not doing the work that they were voted for. And we got some new people in office. And it was with the help of people like Corey and other people and a lot of young volunteers. And I think that it's important uh, as we're sitting here at RuPaul's DragCon, this beautiful space for all people, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what your economic background is or your religion is, because we're all here united in the belief that we are human beings. And uh, there's a lot of people out there who don't want us to exist, but we have an obligation to fight back. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera fought back. They, uh, they used their voices. Um, 
you know, our, uh, speaking for like queer people, you know, our, our community has gone through a lot, you know, with the Stonewall and the AIDS epidemic. And now it's our obligation as queer people, uh, as our, you know, we got a lot of progression under Obama for, for our own equality. And now we see that being rolled back. But it's uh, it, just to kind of talk about what Bob said a little bit, it's our obligation and our privilege as people to speak out uh, against police brutality. It's our obligation to tell our elected officials, I don't want to see people murdered and them get away with it and have a paid vacation while they figure it out. If you murder somebody as a police officer, you go to fucking jail. Uh, and it's time for us as queer people to stand alongside as a community, stand alongside the other communities that are disenfranchised because we're in this together and I believe it's time for the patriarchy to go down and it's time for us to fight back using our voices, our vote, our humanity, and our spirituality. Um, I just wanna say you guys are all my heroes. Like I, I really am so it's, I'm so happy to be on this panel and to be able to talk about this because I, uh, you know, I think it's so important. Um, and to that end, I'd like to talk specifically about the elections that are coming up. Um, Corey mentioned door knocking. Corey mentioned phone banking. Um, so I, in general, I guess I pose to the uh, panel, uh, what do you think the best way for people in this room to get involved in making a difference in November is? Um, and then can you talk specifically about uh, how that's impacting your own world? Um, Adrian, I see you picking up the mic, so take it. I have something to say. Um, so, you know, listen, this one's not as good. Um, you know, I, I want to say something specifically to Bob, which is that, I mean, everything you said is beautiful, but I have to take issue with one thing. I'm sorry, tweeting is not enough. It's not. And you know what? Voting is not enough, because how many people in this room vote? Raise your hands. That's great. This is the problem. We talk to each other, we tell each other to vote, that's great, it's not gonna go anywhere. The, I, I read an article this morning about the tale of two Twitters, and they did an analysis of what people on Twitter were listening to with the Kavanaugh hearings. We tell each other one thing and we say, we all agree, Everybody's, everybody agrees. What he said is insane, how could anyone put him on the Supreme Court? The other Twitter does not say that. The other, other Twitter disagrees with us, and the only way that we go out there and we make a difference is by breaking past out of our silos and by having conversations. And, and I'm gonna back up and tell a story very quickly because you mentioned Northwest Ohio, which is where I worked uh, for three cycles, so I know it well. And I was there in 2016, the night of the election, and I was knocking on doors, and, and I, I was going out, it was like 30 minutes till polls closing. And I got out there and I, it was dark and I, like, I was really ready to go home and nobody was answering the door. And then I finally, like 30 minutes to the polls closing, open, get a door opened and this woman comes out and she is like, you know, a very, not to be judgmental, like, stereotypical, but you know, you're stereotypical, like rural, like blonde haired, she's wearing like slippers and she's got her bathrobe off, she's like ready for bed, she's got an NRA t-shirt. And I was like, oh, not my house. But I started talking to her and I asked her if she was gonna go out and vote and she said, or if she'd voted already, and she said, no, I don't like either of them. It was 30 minutes to polls closing on election night and I, I asked why, I said, why, why don't you like either of them? And she said, well, I don't, I don't like that Trump guy and Hillary's gonna take my guns away. And I said, that's not true. Um, you know, 
that's not how Hillary feels about the Second Amendment. And then I started having a conversation with her, and we talked about healthcare and all of the other things that were ailing her on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, I, and I didn't share policy insights. I basically told her why I gave a shit. Right? I got in front of her door. I said, your voice matters. This election is going to come down to this. I care, and therefore you should care. And we had this conversation. She took off her slippers, she got into her sneakers, and we walked to the polls. That's the resistance. And that is how we win this election cycle. We have an election in 38 days. And if we continue to sit in this room and talk to one another, we are going to lose. If we all put on our sneakers, and we go out there, and we go talk to voters in Staten Island, and we tell them that their voice matters, because they are disenfranchised, and they are pissed off, and they are feeling cut out from the political system, and they are not going to do shit if we don't go out and tell them that it's important. So, classic platform. I just, I just want to say that I was actually in Staten Island uh, volunteering or, or working on a video about volunteering, um, and we knocked on a, uh, some people's doors, and one of them was a Republican and said, told us what he thought of us, which is okay. And uh, another one was uh, a Republican who said she doesn't normally like to cross party lines, but was receptive to the message of this particular candidate and is gonna vote for him. So it actually does make a difference if you knock on doors. Uh, and also I just wanna plug a little bit, there's a, we're signing up volunteers to knock on doors if you want for this thing called The Last Weekend, which is a, a joint uh, effort of groups like both Flippable and Swing Left and numbers of other allied groups. Um, so if you wanna volunteer for Democratic candidates in swing districts that are near you, wherever you live, you can sign up. If you don't, you can not sign up. That's also okay. I want to throw to Corey a little bit. I, I just, I just want to ask you, how many people here live in New York State? How many folks here live in New York State? So mostly everyone. So um, I'm not going to go into all the details, but you know, we have a, in, in New York State, we have a, a Democratic uh, State Assembly uh, by a big majority, and we have a Republican-controlled Senate because in the past Democrats played footsie and empowered Republicans. We still have one uh, Democrat in Brooklyn who does that. So right now the, the breakdown in a state Senate in, in New York State is 32-31. 32 Republicans and 31 Democrats. So we need to flip one seat, one seat, to have Democratic control of the state Senate. So what would that mean if we had that? So we see what happens in California. In California, they expand women's reproductive health because they have a Democratic majority in the state Senate and state assembly and a Democratic governor. They, we see them doing work on climate change. We see them protecting transgender Californians. We see them doing all of these progressive things in California because they have a majority in their state legislature. Here in New York State, every good thing that we want to do is blocked by the Republican majority in Albany. We have to flip one seat, one, in the next 38 days. We could then codify Roe v. Wade in our state. We could expand access to people um, who don't have health care that they need. We could do all these great things. In the Max Rose District, which is the congressional seat on Staten Island that comes to South Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, Diker Heights, that area in South Brooklyn, there's also a state senate district out there by a guy, uh, it's controlled right now by a guy, a guy by the name of Marty Golden, who's a Republican state senator. You take, if the subways are working, you take the subway to South Brooklyn, 
and you can actually work on a Republican-held Senate seat in New York City. You go 40 minutes on Metro North to the Hudson Valley, you can be in three areas with Republican state senators, we could flip those seats. You go right over the Queens border into Nassau County, a Republican-held Senate seat, Lane Phillips has it right now. In our area right here, if we flip one seat, we can make enormous progress in our own state. And so I implore all of you to please, over the next 38 days, please sign up, please volunteer, please door knock, please phone bank, even if you haven't done it before. It's fun, it's empowering, it's exciting, and, and I'm not saying this to be hokey and corny, but it really, it really does make a difference. It really makes a difference if you get out there and you get involved and you speak to voters on why these elections are so important. Because part of the issue is, is that so many people who agree with many of us in this room, they just don't vote. And we need to remind them why they should vote and what's at stake. So I hope you'll do that with all of us. Catherine. Uh, since he's talking so much about state, uh, flipping state offices, do you have anything to add? Yeah, well, I, I was going to say a couple of things. One is that I know that it can feel very intimidating to go out and talk to people you don't know about voting. And what I would urge you to do, I completely agree with everything that everyone said. If, if it's intimidating to you, start small. Start with people in your family or your friend group. I know that we're in a bubble, but a lot of people are from other states. A lot of people have members of their family or members of their extended networks that may not be voting. I had a friend, I went to business school, I had a friend from business school. She has a bachelor's and a master's degree, really smart, um, asked me the other day, what is this election everyone's talking about? When is it, right? There are people that all of us know, um, and that, that's a lot less intimidating to tell a friend about it, and it's a lot more effective, in fact. Um, there are a lot of groups working on relational organizing, which is talking to your friends using whatever means, Facebook Messenger, text, whatever it is, to, to reach out to people. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of us in this room, even if we live in New York now, and there's a lot that we can be doing on the ground in New York, have networks across the country in all of these states where we need to flip state legislatures. Um, I talked before about this massive discrepancy between the 26 states that Republicans fully control and the eight states that Democrats fully control. So my website, Flippable, focuses on states that have a huge impact on gerrymandering and redistricting, on voting rights, which I think is a, a really, really huge issue that was brought up around how many, just how many, especially people of color, are barred from voting in the US. Um, and then also on, on policies like Medicaid expansion and reproductive rights and just all of these policies that affect millions of people. And what we try to do is make it easy. There's 7,000 state legislative districts across the US. I would bet that not too many people in this room know who their state legislators are, and it's really hard to find out information about these, about these really critical representatives. So what we've done is put it all together, created a one-click way to donate to these candidates, created ways to get involved. If you're going home and want to you know, spend a couple days knocking on doors or at the very least talking to people about these critical local elections. So I'm going to ask a, actually, I'm going to ask a slightly different question, and then I'm going to open it up to questions from the audience. Time uh, flies. Um, <clears throat> we've talked a lot about ways to get involved, and I really uh, want to second what everybody said, that I really hope you uh, consider signing up for the various opportunities we're presenting. Um, but I'd like to ask Bob, Marty, and Raymond, um, sort of what you see in culture when you go out and talk about this stuff. Like how, how uh, we know that we need to take back our government um, electorally, but what kinds of responses do you get? Do you 
do you see a lot of people who aren't receptive to your messages? Do you, um, is, the, is social media supportive or uh, harsh? Um, you know, take yeah. it away. Uh, okay, um, yeah, I mean, you get all kinds of responses from people. I think, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in engaging people in whatever way you can. If you're capable of knocking on the doors or making phone calls, do it. I was just phone banking for um, Beto O'Rourke in Texas the other day, and uh, <laughs> he's great, but you know, a lot of these people, you know, you call them and they literally say things like, you know, fuck you, faggot, you're going to burn in hell, I'm voting for Ted Cruz. Like, that's the responses you get. And so you have to take that uh, and, you know, it's important to have dialogue. Uh, some people you're never going to change. Uh, but I, 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 I think it's important to, like you had said, humanize it <laughs> and let people know, you know, my response is, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm a human being, I have a family, I love them, I love myself, and I hope that you vote for the person that you feels will protect me as a human being. Uh, and they're either gonna take it or they're not. People, people can be dicks, that's life, right? But uh, I think, you know, if you're able to kind of stomach those responses, speak back, and education is the most powerful weapon we have. Education is so important. And uh, if you just respond calmly and not a knee-jerk reaction and just say, well, this is, this is why I believe this. You know, a lot of times people will calm down. I think we're so charged up right now. People will calm down and you can have that dialogue. And then you have to just turn it over to the universe and whatever, whoever they vote for, that's their decision. But as long as you're putting in the work, you're doing the work. And I think if you're not capable of calling or knocking on doors for whatever reason, and like social media is a great way. I don't think it's the only way, but I think it is a great way. You know, I was very fortunate to have been on a TV show for a season and we talked a lot about politics. And so a lot of that stuff went up on social media. And, and reading the comments, I was like, wow, people are really mean. Uh, but then sometimes, but every now and again, you get somebody who messages you in your inbox, and they open a dialogue. They say, well, I, I've had several people message me and say, well, why are you in politics? And they, you know, people say, I've had, like, moms message me from Iowa and Minnesota and all these places, and they're like, my, my child is, is gay, and I don't know how to talk to them, or my child wants to you know, do drag and I don't know how to talk to them. That's not what I believe, you know, so social media is a powerful tool because you can have those dialogues and say, well, you know, this is what my parents did when I came out and this is what I believe and this is why I think you should vote this way because you're voting for your child's future. And um, so I think, you know, social media is powerful and scary and talking to people in person is powerful and scary, but do what you are capable of doing, but do it. Bob? Um, you know, my, um, I'm in a, a pretty unique position, not unique to me, but unique. Um, I have, I'm in a position that most people aren't in because a lot of people know who I am. You know, I did drag in New York City for years and I would be political here and I would go to Times Square. I used to do these, I used to do these protests in Times Square. I used to go up to, to um, the Capitol and yell at, like, like face to face. Of over marriage equality and all this crazy stuff. And oddly enough, because of the position I'm in now, and I haven't been arrested in probably seven years, but I've probably affected more people now because I have such a larger platform. Not everyone here has almost a million followers on Instagram. Uh. Um, <laughs> But that, but that, that was true what you said because because tweeting doesn't happen. But, but I mean the truth is my tweets are powerful. God damn it, they're powerful. Um, 
but your little shitty tweets aren't anything. <laughs> so I'm trying to do what I can do in the, and you know, not only that, but like when I was in New York City and I would stand on stage and I would say something political and the whole room would go up, but I travel the world now and I am in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I am in um, Mobile, Alabama. I am in all these places. When I say it, it's a different reaction. But you know what? What's so interesting about what this whole beast has created is that I am standing on stage in Mobile, Alabama, and maybe there's a, a mom there with her daughter because her, all her mom, all this woman knows that her daughter really wanted to go to this show. All she knows is my daughter really, really, really wanted to go to this show, so I'm at the show. But then mom gets to see people on stage, and she gets to see the way her child reacts to the people on stage, and the way that people are nice, the way that when you come meet this drag queen, you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm not exactly what she thought I was. Maybe I wasn't a vulgar thing, and depending on what day of the week, maybe I was a vulgar thing <laughs> but she gets to see that there is a humanity there so the, the fact that I get to go out and because I'm not from New York I'm from the south like the south south I'm from Georgia I'm from Alabama and I'm from Mississippi that is where I've lived before I moved to New York City um, so you know growing up in the south and then having and it was just different you know the difference between you know Republican like George Bush and Donald Trump is it's night and day. I mean, it makes you wish for the days that George Bush was. I, I remember thinking how upset I was about John McCain about eight of oh, four years four years ago, eight years ago, whatever. I don't, I'm not good with numbers. Um, but then I remember when John McCain passed away, I was like, wow. I didn't realize that he was an, an honorable man with opinions that differed from mine, as opposed to like. Um, like a monster. You see what I'm saying? Um, so it, I don't know. That's what that's. I'm getting off track. What I'm saying is getting to be out there in rural areas in the in the country where I'm from, and seeing like my landlord who used to who was a staunch Trump supporter. And you know, I was home for my for uh, back when before this last presidential election, and I was talking to my whole family about, about, about elections, and everyone was like, yeah, 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 we're voting for, um, we're gonna vote for Hillary. And then I got to my brother, and he was like, he said, well, I don't like now one of them. And I was like, well, we're gonna have to have a discussion until you choose tonight. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, and a lot of us who are, who are living here, who have family back in those trashy-ass states, and yeah, I said it. Um, you know, if we all talk to those family members and, 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 and really talk to the compassion in those family members, then they'll talk, then they'll talk, then they'll talk, then they'll talk. And people do share those stories. It, it spreads. It spreads like wildfire. And, and I'm just, you know, you got to just, you got to engage. You really, 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 really have. It is hard to be mean to people face to face. And that's not just in politics, that's in everything. You can't, it's hard. It's really hard. It's easy to hang up on someone. It's hard to slam a door on someone's face. It really is hard, or to turn your back and walk on someone, especially if you know them. Yeah. So I'm getting a five-minute warning. So if you have a quick thing to add, and then yes. we'll go to at least a one or two questions. I was just going to tell a quick story. So I did a series with Logo for the 2016 election where we traveled the country, went to both conventions, swing states, and we were covering the election through the lens of LGBTQ issues. And I will never forget, when we were at the RNC, I spent the entire, the Republican National Convention, I spent the entire convention walking around draped in a rainbow flag because I wanted there to be that visibility there as they were debating and passing the most anti-LGBTQ platform in the party's history. Um, but I also thought that it would 
would be an opportunity for people to come up and start a conversation. And I will never forget a woman who came up who was in her 60s, and she said that her grandson had just come out and that she was really struggling. And we ended up having a conversation. And I think that it really made her question a lot of things and that she left that convention really questioning who she was going to vote for. But it would be easy to just say, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna engage with every, anyone here, like, let's not, it's not even worth our time. Or it's easy to write off a state or a city or look at the heat maps and see something that looks red. But there are people everywhere, in every state, in every location that do share your values. And I know that because I'm from one of those deep red states. But I see the goodness and the kindness in people there when they get to know you. And so I don't like thinking about, you know, I love you so much, Bob, but it's like, I don't think of the states as a trashy state or not. Like, I, I was I wanted, kidding. I'm from I, a trash-ass state. <laughs> I, <laughs> my whole family's from trash-ass states. I, was just, I use humor a little too broadly sometimes. But I feel like if, if, you, if you do it with an open heart, everyone has an opportunity to evolve. And also, like, we've been talking a lot about phone making and canvassing without telling you a lot of how it actually works. Go with a friend who has done it before, but you don't have to be an expert on every policy or be able to, like, defend every point that your candidate or your platform is standing. It's really about a human-to-human -human conversation and just talking to someone, listening to what questions they have. And if you don't know the answer, you can say, let me get back to you or let me talk to someone that I'm working with who can, who can help you with that. So you don't have to be an expert. It's just about putting yourself out there. All right, so quickly, let's uh, open up for some questions from the audience. Um, over here. So we have two minutes. Okay. <laughs> Just work. FYI. I'm a rebel. We're going to go over a little. Uh, my name is Elliot. Uh, thank you guys for being here. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, my question is actually for Corey. Um, one thing I didn't hear you guys speak about today was actually running for public office. And I think we don't have enough queer people in public office, and I think it's really important but I think that for people like me at least, um, you know, it seems the queer people don't have, you know, they struggle with their identity, they don't have the parental support, they don't have the mentorship, and a lot of times we don't have the, uh, no pun intended, straight track record that you might think is necessary to be elected. And so I wanted to think about what, uh, how, to, how to think about that as, a, as someone who's considering running for public office and how you would deal with, with that. So we need people to run for office, and everyone should bookmark Run for Something, which is a great website, which is getting grassroots people all across the country who never contemplated running for office before, giving them the tools necessary and the training to be able to do that. There's a really, um, we don't know the statistic for LGBT people, but for women, we have a record number of, of women running for office across the country, and historically, it takes a woman being asked nine times to run for office to finally say yes. And it's because of the reasons you just delineated. I, want, I just wanna say this quickly. In 2021, I'm term limited out of the city council. I was elected in 2013. I'm one of five LGBT members of the city council out of 51. I'm the only openly HIV positive elected official in the state of New York. And, and, and we need people to run for office. The, the New York Times just did a story a couple weeks ago. We have a record number of LGBT candidates all across the country running for the House, running for the state legislature, running for city council, running for county positions. So do not uh, talk yourself out of it. Actually talk to people who can talk you into it and why you should run and what you have to offer and what you need to do. When I ran for council in 2013, I had never worked in government. I was 30 years old. Uh, I don't come from a family with money, and I really wanted to run because I wanted to make a difference. And there were a lot of people who actually encouraged me and told me they would help me understand how to do it. 
and they set me up for success. So everyone here, whether you want to run for office or not, we want you to be an activist participant in our democracy. And if you do want to run for office, uh, go to Run for Something and check out the Victory Fund. Those are the two organizations to look at to give you the template to run for office. Hi, everyone. Hi, panelists. Um, I have been thinking a lot about this, just speaking, um, or this environment right now is very unified. Everyone seems to be on the same page. Uh, when progressives or liberals or Democrats, however you want to kind of identify those factions within maybe even this room, um, there seems to be sometimes some issues about selecting candidates or um, exactly what your platform will be or those kinds of things and kind of getting your friends to be uh, with you, to agree with you, to move forward with you or knock on doors uh, can be a challenge. Can you speak to those challenges um, quickly? Yeah, I mean, I can say uh, two quick things, which is that I, we, I haven't, <coughs> talking a lot about, about canvassing, not a lot about what the specifics of Swing Left does, uh, but Swing Left, we work on targeted congressional districts across the country. We have 84 swing districts that we are focused on across the country. And it's important because, you know, Corey talked about the state Senate. We only need 23 seats in order to take back a majority in the House this year, 23 seats. And that's really critical because, as you know, Congress is the best check on Trump that we can get right now. So we need to take back a majority. We need to flip these seats. Um, you know, to answer your question, we are focusing on the general election candidates. And one of the things that we did early on that was really innovative was not support a primary candidate. We built the infrastructure both for, through fundraising and through volunteerism to support whomever won in the general election, which was awesome because there's lots of groups out there who are all going to be supporting their different primary candidates. And our message is, you know what, doesn't matter to us at the end of the day. Our goal is taking back a majority. So we build the infrastructure during the primary so that we can see general election wins in November. To speak briefly about your question about how to actually bring people together in an environment where there are kind of differences in opinion, I think that competition is good. I think that different ideas in our party, it's, I think that's really healthy. And so I would start with just having those conversations rather than shying away from them. Um, maybe some of your friends are all about Medicaid for all or Medicaid, Medicare for all, and others are about a different type of healthcare system. But that kind of discussion, I think, is so much more elevated than the, some of the discussions we're seeing between Democrats and Republicans, where Republicans are basically just not uh, validating our right to exist. Um, and so I think, I think in general, we are aligned in our need to flip the House, to flip states. Um, I think that we are coming together after someone wins the primary to support them in the general. And I think we should just let these conversations flourish among our party. Sorry, guys, we have to wrap it up. One tiny bit of housekeeping, because our lovely panelists have full schedules, we are going to let them go through this door first, and then in the back for you guys. Uh, can I say, well, I'm sorry that we have to cut this off. I actually wish we could talk more. But Swing Left has a booth. It's the booth number 605. I'll be there uh, most of the rest of the weekend. Marty will be there a lot. Raymond can come hang out with us. Um, so find us, go to thelastweekend.org, go to swingleft.org, go to flippable.org, go to run for something. Text. Also, if you want to sign up right now, you can text WEEKEND to 50409 on your cell phone, and that'll get you signed up. 
and it's a coalition of 50 organizations. So you're not only you're signing up for Swing Left, but you'll also be able to learn more about what Flippable is doing and other partners that we're working with so that you can get involved before November. 50409. Amazing. You were amazing. If you don't vote, you're an asshole.